we have been speaking on the culture of the kingdom of God, which we defined as love. And the more I study, I'm becoming more and more convinced that we have to get this right. And so this message is going to, this subject rather, will go on for, who knows, maybe two, three more weeks. So we can get a good working knowledge of what we're talking about. There's a language of the kingdom. There's a culture of the kingdom. There's an attitude of the kingdom. And there's the operating system of the kingdom. But this morning, especially, I'm speaking on the culture of the kingdom, which we've already defined to be love. Now, I'm going to speak in this segment on the necessity of love. We know that Jesus in John chapter 13 said in verse 34 that a new commandment are given to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, if you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let me just pick it up from there this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 31, the last verse of that chapter, it says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And then chapter 13 starts in verse 1. Please don't miss the connection here. In chapter 12, Paul had taken the time to teach the church at Corinth about the manifestation of the gifts of God. And we're now dealing with the gifts this morning. But my prayer is that at some time in the not too distant future, we will see on a consistent basis the manifestation of God's gifts released within the body. But there are some things we need to learn first to allow this activation to take place. In as much as God wants to see it released, Paul ended chapter 12 by saying, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Even though he has spoken to them about the gifts, is ending that chapter on this note. I have taught you on the gifts. How the Holy Spirit distributes the gift as he wills within the body. But he says, the last sentence on that note is, and yet, I show you a more excellent way. What is this excellent way? Chapter 13 starts. Verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Whoa. Verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy, mind you, he's the one that just taught us on the gift of prophecy. Chapter 12. And though I have the gift of prophecy, 
and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith, he just taught us about faith. So that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. This I know. Every passage in the New Testament where God has taught us on the gifts of the Spirit, if you pay attention, immediately following that, he comes back. My friend John, it's good to see you, my friend. Long time no see. Welcome back. If you pay attention, God always comes back to balance that teaching on the gifts with the teaching on love. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Immediately following it, he talks about love in chapter 13. Romans chapter 12, the Bible talks about all the various gifts in the body. In chapter 13, it says, Oh, no man, nothing but love to one another. Hello? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, it mentions the gifts that God has given the body. Apostles, pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists. And at the end of that chapter, and going on to chapter 5, immediately, it says, walk in love. Are you following what I'm saying so far? There is a reason for that. And before I get into that reason this morning, let me just tell us a story that's a true story, really. Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi, the father of India, was living in exile years ago. In South Africa, actually. And while he was living in exile, he read the entire New Testament and came to the conclusion that Jesus, indeed, is the Son of God. And on a Sunday morning, picked up his Bible and went to this particular Presbyterian church. And I'm not saying this against the Presbyterian church. It could have been any church in South Africa at that time. It could have been any church in South Africa at that time. But he went to the Presbyterian church that Sunday morning and was going to publicly confess his faith. But upon getting there, because of the color of his skin, the church would not allow him access or entry. He stayed outside of the church for the entire service and went back to India saying, I would have been a Christian except I never met a Christian. Ultimately, he led 750 million Indians to paganism. And as we speak, there are 350 million gods worshipped in India. Think of what one man's life, the impact or the lack thereof from one man's life because of the absence of love. 
So Paul is saying to us, you should earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, that verse 1 of chapter 13 really got my attention as I began to study this over the last few days. Let me read it again and I'm going to explain it. It said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, in order to explain this to us, I have to talk to you about the high priestly garment back in Israel. And I'm not teaching on the tabernacle or on the priesthood, but you needed to understand what I'm about to say in order to understand why Paul said what he said. He said, if you speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but you have not love, it's like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. What connection is Paul trying to make? Huge. Can you give me the picture of the priesthood, please? Thank you. Dim the lights a little bit so they can see it. In Israel, that was what the high priest wore during his ministry. In fact, let me read a scripture. Leave it up there. Let me just, I'll read the scripture to you. You can write it down. Exodus 39. Exodus 39. I need to be able to see up here, I guess. <laughs> Verse. Twenty. No, Exodus 28. Okay. Yes. Verse uh, 33. Just, just pay attention. And upon its hem, what hem? The hem of his robe. The blue robe that he has on. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet, all around its hem and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate. A golden bell and a pomegranate. Upon the hem of the robe all around. Listen to this, verse 35. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers. And its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die. Now, just leave it on for one second. I need, I need to explain this. I'm talking about the necessity of love. The high priest dressed like this to minister to God. And the Bible said, that blue robe that you see that he's wearing, at its hem, there must be a promagonate of purple and scarlet. And a bell. Pomegranate. And a bell. All around the hem. If you are an Israelite and you came to church, so to speak, 
You are outside of the perimeters of the church. If you were to ask an average Israelite, is the priest at home today? Is the high priest ministering today? Is he in service? They couldn't tell you by seeing him. They could only verify that he was there because if he was there, he was in a holy place and the holy place was enclosed. Nobody could see him from the outside, but they could hear him. As he moved around to service, you'll be hearing the bells will be ringing. So as long as those bells were ringing, the Israelites had an assurance that ministry was taking place. Are you following me so far? Those bells were the only assurance to the Israelites that the priest did not die before God. When the bells stopped ringing, if it did, it's an indication that the man has stopped moving. But as long as the bells were moving, or the, man's were, the man was moving, the bells were ringing, and therefore they knew he was alive. But something very interesting that God did. He did not just have bells all around the hem. It was bells and pomegranate. Bells and pomegranate. Why was that? That's the point Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1. He said, if I speak with the tongues of men and all of angels and I have not love, I'll be as a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. If there were no promagonists in between the bells and the man was moving around, all you'll be hearing will be the sounding brass and clanging cymbals without harmony. But the pomegranate in between provided the buffer that allowed the ringing to be a harmonious sounding ringing that did not offend the ears. The bells represent the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts make noise. But the pomegranate, you know what it is. We saw it first in Numbers 13 when the Israelites went to spy out the promised ground. It is a fruit that grew that grew most especially in the promised land. For the Bible tells us they went and spied the land, they brought, they brought back clusters of grape, figs, and pomegranates. So, if the bells represented the gifts of the Spirit, the pomegranate represented the fruit of the Spirit. Give me the other pictures, please. There you go, right there. Just let go. That's what you have. So you have the bells, the fruit. The bells, the fruit. The bells, the fruit. Why is this so important to us? It is important for us to understand this and necessary for us to know 
what God has done and put it in operation because the gift apart from the fruit brings a clanging symbol sound. A church, an organization, a ministry where the gifts are flowing and moving around without love brings clashes. I'm bringing this to us this morning because the reason for which there has not been an activation of the gifts of the Spirit sufficient is because the fruit of the Spirit is not in proportion to the gift. God has to have love motivating the, free, the, the gift. So Paul, having understood, thank you, thank you, you can turn on the lights. Thank you. Paul, having understood the garments of the priest and understanding that those bells were arranged on the hem of the garments interchangeably or alternatively with the fruit, he said to us, if I have, speak with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels and I do not have love, I'll be like the high priest wearing a garment with only bells and no fruit. And the noise will be offensive to the hearing. That is what's been happening in the body of Christ. We've seen gifts demonstrated in isolation that's bringing offenses. Because those gifts have not been balanced sufficiently enough with the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Love. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Look at what Paul said. I mean, why would he say these things? Let's read it again. This man is encouraging us to desire the gifts. And yes, he says in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. That is a very, very serious series of statements he made. It's escalating the love issue. And may I say to us, we are not just talking about love that I show to you or you to me. We have to come to an understanding of the God kind of love. Because it's the love of God that constrains me, not my love to God. It's the love of God towards me and my understanding of it. And in the future teachings, you're going to see the God's kind of love. But first of all, let me just suffice it to say, in the Greek language, there are four words used to describe the word love. And this is important. Why is it important? Okay, so I'm going to say, uh, bank, I love pizza. English language. In the same token, I say, I love my wife. So what's the dis distinction? You love your wife as much as you love pizza, or you love pizza as much as you Which one is which? Because the English language is so inadequate in describing what God has in mind. We throw the word out, I love my job. 
I love my cat. I love my dog. I love my wife. I love God. The same word, love, 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 with different meanings. But those meanings are hidden as long as we only limit it to the understanding of the word love. So the Greek said no. And really, in fact, when God used the word love in the entire New Testament, it's not using the same meaning and understanding that you and I use on a day-to-day basis. Four Greek words for love. First one, eros, E-R-O-S, which simply means erotic love, romantic love. When you saw that lady the first time or the man the first time, you said, man, I fell in love with him or with her. Man, I'm in love with this person. Arrows, romance. Hollywood kind of love. The one you see in movies. That's far from reality. Infatuation. They fall in love one day and three months later they fall out of love. That's arrows. That's arrows. That's arrows. And the idea here is, this is the reason this is important. If your limit of understanding of love is only limited to arrows, when your wife or your husband stop giving arrows to you, you are bankrupt. But worse still, I'm judging God's love for me based on arrows. And I do not understand that even though eros is used on a human level, that that's not all that God is all about. In fact, God is much, much more than that. Amen? Amen. Second great word, storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, which basically is talking about affection within family context. Husband to wife, wife to husband, parents to children, children to their parents, and siblings to one another. The kind of love that should exist among our family folks. Storge. Third Greek word, phileo. Friendship. Brotherly love. Friends. Just having strong, friendly relationship. Amen? Now, in our human understanding, we estimate that God's love is eros, filial, or storge. But what I want you to know this morning is there is a huge gulf between those three levels of loving and the kind of love that God is talking about. The kind of love, when Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, he is not speaking of eros. He is not speaking of storge. He is not speaking of phileo. He is speaking of agape love, which has a totally different meaning from the other words that the Greek use to describe love. Now, let me give us the distinction. At least five differences between agape. I know we say we say it's unconditional love, da 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 da. That is so simplistic, we may not even know what that means. So I want to break that down. Agape. Number one distinction of agape. It is the kind of love that is without change. 
<laughs> you guys didn't hear me. You see, in erotic love, a man brings a woman to the altar, they exchange vows, they say we're going to be married for better or for worse, amen and amen, they exchange rings, they get out in the parking lot, he's driving too fast, she's not driving fast enough, two, three years later, all of a sudden, everything is breaking loose. The woman or the man you claim and profess and talk about how much you love them and for better or for worse, all of a sudden, everything changes. All those changes. But agape love is that kind of love without change. Let me show you to you in the scripture. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 35. The message translation is, better, is best for this. But let me just read it from the New King James. Look at the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? And listen, if you've not been in a distress, you really don't understand what Paul is saying. Husband and wives that's working harmoniously towards the same goal. Let the man lose his job. Let him stop bringing money to the house. Month number one. Month number two. If there's no agape, if all they're living on is arrows, hey, <laughs> at midnight hour, the woman will say, wait a minute, money answered all things. The bill is not paid. I'm not in the mood. <laughs> Amen. Why? Because that relationship is only based on arrows. But if you've graduated from that and are walking in agape, God's unconditional, but not only that, unchanging love, which means no matter what the circumstance or situation, Let me read on. Verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that, who loved us. Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Notice what it says. Notice, notice. No, don't read it too quickly. He didn't say shall be able to separate me, no, separate God's love from me. No, he said nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Not from my love to God, no. Any number of things can separate my love from God. God don't answer my prayer in time, that is liable to happen. He does not give me a miracle, I may be separated. But he's saying nothing will change, separate God's love, God's commitment to me. Nothing is going to change that. This is agape. Unchanging love. Nothing you do, bank, is going to make God change his mind to decrease by one iota his love for you. That's agape. 
There is no condition whatsoever that will cause God to take it back and say, ah, mm, I love you a little too much. Let me just take a little back. No. I am the Lord and I change not. Agape. Oh, you may change when your wife changes. Eros. You may change when your friend changes. Phileo. You've called him three times. He didn't return your phone call. You get upset. Phileo. Stoggy. Your brother borrowed $10 from you. They didn't return it in time. You get upset. But not so with agape. Hello? I tell people at premarital counseling all the time. People have this notion. Husband and wife. Getting married, we bring 50 50 to the table. No, that's Torge, that's Philio, that's Eros. Yes. Agape, you bring 100 0. Yes. 100 to the other person's 0. Yes. You didn't get it. Yes. I am going to give everything. Yes. And that leads up to my next point. Because the next point tells us Agape is the kind of love. That keeps on giving without demanding or expecting payment in return. Yes. Agape love. He continues to give without demanding or expecting payment in return. That's why I said it's a hundred zero preposition. Otherwise, don't get married. Leave it alone. Just be single the rest of your life. That's God's proposition to us. He's loving me and you unconditionally without expecting for me to reciprocate. Now, if you're in your right senses, you will reciprocate. But that's not his condition. He's not loving me and you to say, you know what? I'm doing it so you can love me back. No. For when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We hated God and he still loved us. His love does not expect a payment, neither does it demand that you reciprocate. Take that attitude to your homes. See how radically that will change your relationship with your your spouse. If your attitude is such where you understand that you need not only arrows, failures, stargate, but most importantly, you have to have agape. Unchanging, which means if your husband becomes size 18, you married him, I have to be out to play safe. If, if, <laughs> when you married the man, he was size 30 in the waist. But five years later, he's now size 44. Robust. He has changed significantly. (laughs) But agape demands you continue to love him in spite of. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But not only that. Don't forget. Agape never gives because they expect or demand a repayment. Jesus is a great example of that. John 13 verse 1. He said he loved his disciples and loved them till the end even though 
among those guys was Judas Iscariot. The one who will betray him. He did not command or compare Judas. I have loved you. Now love me back. I'm telling you, when we get hold of this message, we're going to change the world. Because the best of the church is yet to be seen yet. It's yet to be seen. So number one, it's not changing. Number two, it gives without demanding or expecting repayment. Number three, agape. Agape is so great it can be given to the unlovable and unappealing. <laughs> it can be given to the unlovable and to the unappealing. Yes. Arrows. Let, let, let's be honest. Nobody says they are madly in love, romantically in love with a man or a woman they don't feel an attraction to. Yes. Well, maybe, maybe there are some monsters here. I don't know. <laughs> but agape love is totally blind. To whether you are lovable or appealing. That's why Jesus was at home with a Samaritan woman. A woman that had a terrible reputation in her community. And yet Jesus can fellowship with her and say, give me to drink. Engaged her because he knew it's about to change her life. For God so loved the world. He was willing to give is only begotten son. Yes. The unlovables and the unappealing. Yes. Agape love still reaches out to them. Number four, it loves even when rejected. It is love without changing. It's love that does not demand or expect repayment. It's love that's so great it can be given to the unlovable, un unappealing. And then again, it loves even when rejected. Can you imagine Jesus hanging on that cross? Matthew chapter 23 verse 34. To those very people who were killing him. And he still had enough agape to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. I mean, these guys had a choice for crowd loud. Shall we release to you Jesus of Nazareth or Barabbas, the murderer? They chose to forgive and release the murderer and crucify their savior. In other words, they outright rejected him. And he got on that cross and said, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. Listen, what I'm saying to you is, Agape love will find a way to excuse the other person's wrong. Oh my God. Agape will find a way. It's, it's not that it's blind to the fault, so to speak. But listen to what Agape says. Agape is saying, listen, this is the reason for which I came. Yes. Yes. For me and you, Agape will say, in spite of what Greg is doing or has done, yes. that's the reason for which Jesus came. Yes. To take away those infirmities, those weaknesses, those offenses. So why should I hold it against him when Jesus is not holding it against him? Yes. Yes. And lastly, Agape gives because it wants so. 
Agape gives because it wants to. Bottom line here is, if you notice everything I said about agape, it's not about emotion. Agape is a decision. It's a decision you make. It's a decision God made. For God so loved the world, he made a commitment. It's a decision made. Now, I'm about to close now. In closing, on the, in, in, in closing this little section up, how do we walk in agape? How do we get there? How do we get there? Number one, we must not neglect the role and the place of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been shared abroad, abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Everything I said about agape can only be accomplished through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So it's okay, Pastor, I've heard that. Practically so, how do I get there? You need to ask the Holy Spirit. You need to ask the Holy Spirit, let that love of God that's in me, because it's in you already. When you are born again, your spirit received the deposit of God's DNA. The ability in God, of God, is in you already by the spirit when you are born again. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's in you already. But your soul and your body, your flesh, is fighting, warring against what is already in you. So if you're going to see a manifestation of this love of God that's deposited in you, you need the help of the Holy Spirit. And the beginning of that is acknowledging the role and the place of the Holy Spirit in your life. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to walk in love. Reveal to me, give me understanding about the love of God. Help me to come to grasp with this love that is already in me. I thank you for, I mean, I'm talking about you need to pray about it. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. It's real. It will show up. So number one, you specifically pray about it. Now, based on the five things I just gave you, you already should know where you are. Does your love change? Does your love expect, demand a payment? Can your love withstand rejection? Hello? Is your loving a decision? When you answer those questions honestly, right off the bat, you know where you are in your love tank. And for most of us, we are not there. Including yours truly. There are days when I think I'm there and a few days later I find out, whoa! We are not as much there as you thought you were. And quickly sent me back to my prayer closet and said, God, help me. But the reason this is so critical, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, the Bible makes it clear that you and I must come to be rooted and grounded in love 
that we may comprehend with all the saints the height, depth, breadth, and width of the love of God that surpasses knowledge so that we can come to the fullness of God. So this is what I'm seeing. This is what I just saw. My rootedness and groundedness in love gives me comprehension of who God is. Yes. The reason we don't understand God is because we are not rooted and grounded. Yes. So number one, I pray. I ask the Holy Spirit to help me. Number two, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Nobody can do this for you. When you find yourself in those situations, when your love wants to change, when you find yourself in those situations, when rejection is knocking on your door, when you find yourself in those situations where you are feeling like demanding payment, that's when now you have to yield to the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you're going to learn. That's the only way you're going to perfect and walk in love. In the inside, you are screaming. It's killing you. But you know what God has said. The Holy Spirit has revealed to you, just love them unconditionally. Bless them without asking for anything in return. Just do it. I'm saying to you, after having prayed, and by faith you have received the grace of God, You've received the ability in God to walk in that love. I'm saying to you, the next step is when you get into that situation, trust God to yield. Amen. Pastor, is it going to be pleasant? Will I get immediate, instant gratification? No. No. Many times it doesn't happen like that. But this I know. The same Bible that said we should do this comes back and tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Love never fails. It never fails. It's just the issue of trusting God and releasing God to do in us what is already perfected. The takeaway here again, two things. Number one, acknowledging the Holy Spirit and asking him to help you. Number two, when you come into that situation, yield. Yield. By faith, just yield. Yield the right in that situation. Just yield it. And then you see God come back to exalt you in that matter. That's the way it happens. And you see, as you do that on a daily basis, you are developing. You are growing. You are understanding more. And then God gives you more grace. And as you receive more grace, you obey God a little more. And then more grace is released. And then one year comes past to pass. And you wonder, wow, how did I get, did I get from here to there? I've made significant turnaround. It will never happen unless you start. I want to challenge you. The most unlovable, unappealing people around you, maybe on your job, in your business, wherever you go, you, there are some people you just don't like. Not because of you. Because of them. Because they've done something. 
Let them become your project this week. There is no sense in coming to church, hearing and hearing and not doing anything about it. Yes. Ask God, ask God in a moment to give you the grace. That man, that woman, that is so hard, that is so obnoxious, so difficult to get along with. Let God release his love in your heart towards them. So that you can become God's agent to touch them. Do you know why people are so difficult? Do you know why they are obnoxious? Do you know what's happening in their world? For which God has adequately packaged you to help them come out of that bondage? You don't know what's happening with them. You don't know who's rocked their boat, rocked their world, hurt them, wounded them. You see, because wounded people only wound others. So the reason they are lashing out at you is not because of you. It's because of an experience in their life that they don't even comprehend. So God wants to use you and I as agents of transformation. You see, because if we don't transform, we transfer. If you don't transform, we transfer. In other words, if I don't change, I'm going to take that same thing and pass it on. So what I'm saying is, let's be deliberate. God is teaching us his love. Let's receive that love by the power of the Holy Spirit. and say, God, that man, that woman, that individual, that child, I have no appeal for them. There's nothing they do that's lovable. In relief, God, I really can't even stand them. But I know you can. I want to be your hands and your legs to touch them for your glory. Can we stand up and pray that simple prayer this afternoon? This is not a message we're going to get in one time, but we just get it a little at a time. And let's just use the little we get now. Let's get the result. And God will honor us. First prayer point. We want to pray that the Holy Spirit will shred abroad in our hearts the love of God. That love is already there because you are a child of God. Simple prayer of faith. Just say after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your love towards me. An unchanging love. A love that does not demand repayment. A love that can withstand rejection. A love that's a decision you've made. I thank you this afternoon that nothing can ever separate me from the love that you have towards me. I am secured in your love. I believe that you love me dearly. And therefore, in the name of your son Jesus, by the power of your spirit, Release within me that love in the same measure as you've given it to me. Holy Spirit, be my helper. Help me to love all those you place around me. In the name of Jesus, I thank you now. I receive by faith the ability of God to walk in love. In Jesus' name. Amen.